In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory Glory be to to the the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as as it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, now, and will will be forever. forever. Amen. Welcome to this week's edition of our talk podcast as we look forward to our this coming Sunday and this Sunday looking forward to Good Shepherd Sunday. Mm-hmm. Always the fourth fourth Sunday of Easter. Fourth Sunday of Easter and we've spent the last three weeks uh, at least thinking about the gospel lessons. We've been looking at you know, these appearances of Jesus uh, to various people on that first Easter day but now we're, uh, we take a little break from that this week and look forward to hearing about Jesus. Uh, we don't hear that famous, I am the good shepherd in the gospel, but we hear about uh, Jesus saying, you know, I am the door to, to the sheepfold. Uh, but we do hear that, I think, so, elsewhere in the service, though. So. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess, so in, just thinking about Good Shepherd Sunday, I just want to talk, think about context here a little bit of what, we're going to be talking with with uh, our first reading from Acts. Um, so again, the Gospel, John chapter 10, 1 through 14, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head, mm-hmm. and talking about... Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does mention uh, the, being the good shepherd at the, at the very end of that of that passage. Or, or, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. My sheep know me, and the, 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 my sheep hear my voice, yeah, and, and they know me. And they know me, yeah. Yes. And I am the good shepherd, yeah. I think he says, yeah. Uh, so we definitely we hear the strong language of sheep shepherd language, but uh, so in thinking of the context here now in Acts, we see what it looked like in the early church as God's people gathered together. That we think of uh, you know a flock or of the sheep, you know they gather together. They're they're called and gathered by their shepherd, but now. In Acts, as we're reading about the early church, we see what this looked like uh, for the early church and what they did. And in terms of Good Shepherd Sunday, we know that we are God's flock, Christ's flock. And I know Pastor and I kind of discussed this a little bit, the chronology. Well, he's he's been outlining it in the sermons in the last couple of weeks, how we tend to think, oh, the Doubting Thomas episode happened you know, much later and the road to Emmaus episode happened much later, but that really happened in a very short span of time, right after the resurrection. Um, and we also talked about this mixed up chronology from the book of Acts, because our first reading is from Acts rather than the Old Testament, and how at the very beginning of Acts, we hear, the, we hear about the ascension. Mm-hmm. But that's chapter one. We're, yeah. reading, we're reading today from chapter two. So this is all these things after the ascension. Yeah, after so that, the ascension, that yeah. kind of messes with your with your sense of time too, because um, Jesus hasn't ascended yet. We haven't observed ascension, but yet this is this is a reading from post-ascension. Right, yeah, and as I heard, uh, it was uh, Reverend Sean Enzer said on Issues Etc. He, he said that, you know, maybe it, you know, to hear this reading that we'll be looking at here today, to hear this first maybe isn't very helpful, but if we think of it in context of that gospel reading of, you know, we are, you know, Christ sheep and we are the flock he is a shepherd and maybe it can make a little bit more sense when we think of it in that uh, in, in those terms 
Right, and, and that's what you're going to do for us. Yeah, today. that's what I'm going to okay. attempt to <laughs> kind of pull it together like that and see what we come up with here as we go along. So again, our first reading this week is Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. Would you be able to read those for us, Paul? They, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thank you. So just going to right off the bat here, just to think about kind of what we heard. We're hearing a lot here about an imagery here of kind of what the New Testament church was beginning to look like. As we said, this was after Christ had ascended back up into heaven. And now, you know, the church on earth now, the New Testament church is beginning. And we get this, uh, this is the first of uh, three summary statements, is what they call them, as to kind of what kind of described what the early church mm -hmm. was doing, uh, kind of in their practices and so forth. The other, I think, don't hold me to it, I think comes later on in chapter 4 or 5. Then there's, there's a, a third one that comes later on as well. But again, to kind of think of uh, Good Shepherd Sunday here, you know, the church, God's people, they are the flock of God. You know, he, he feeds us, and in thinking of this, in terms of Good Shepherd Sunday, Christ feeding us, um, we don't have to answer this right now, but kind of a question comes to mind is, you know, where does he do this? Where does he feed us? Where does he feed his flock? But uh, I think maybe this is the question we can just keep in our heads as we kind of go along. Here. Right, and we'll come back to that. But but as, as I was reading this um, in, in verse 45, uh, where it talks about them selling their possessions and and you know, giving everything's up, giving everything up, um, and then... Uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Well, where were they getting it from? If they gave up, if they gave up all their food, they were relying on the generosity of of the people they were ministering to. Correct? Yeah, I mean the the, the congregations that were forming, or the congregation, the church. And... It was a le it was a leap of faith for them that that. Um, but this was the model that they were setting forth: is yep. that you you go forward in that leap of faith, and 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 you will be provided for. Right, yeah. I mean, if you think of, it was just a couple weeks ago, we, we read the account of, of the apostles uh, before the council, you know, and when they uh, were, were charged, you know, not to speak of Jesus anymore. But what do they do? And now they're out again already doing this. Mm -hmm. And they're continuing this work now. Uh, and, 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 yeah, that leap of faith that it took to pretty much just go and defy that and you know, just continue on and remain steadfast. And, uh, and now we're seeing kind of their, the, the product here of what, uh, or the outcome of that. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. As the church started, kept, uh, started to form. I, I think it was a last, in last week's reading that uh, we heard the phrase that, you know, it was a 3,000 were added uh, that day to the, to the faith. And, and so today we hear a little bit more of uh, kind of the, the outcome of this, 
kind of what the early church looked like. And so we hear of uh, you know this focus you know, on the teaching of the apostles, uh, and also there's a fellowship of the community of believers. That's kind of the, our emphasis here uh, in this text. Uh, so it begins in the first verse, uh, verse 42. You know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this teaching had authority not because it was the apostles' teaching, but because it was the teaching of Christ himself. It was, it, you know, they were teaching the doctrine of God to the people. And it, uh, it wasn't because of them, but it was Christ. But they had, they had kind of an obstacle to overcome there. I, I'm, I'm sure when they were witnessing to people that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what some of them probably questioned, well, what authority do you have? You know, where does this come from? Right. Yeah, and I'm sure they faced that you know, when they faced the council even. I'm sure they were asking them those questions. Although I think the, the council was more fed up at that point, I think. But Well, and there was a political component there to was that a too, political that, that, component that they, felt, yeah. that they felt that their authority was threatened. Yeah, and uh, was that a couple weeks ago in the reading where we heard of um, Gamaliel, uh, he was when uh, when they were in front of the council. You know, he had told the council, you know, leave these men alone. You know, if if it be if this is not a movement of God, it will fail. But if it is of God, I mean, there's no stopping it. Basically, yeah. right. It was his way of testing testing the validity of of that authority. Of that yeah. political authority, right. yeah. So uh, here, here we are, you know, a couple weeks later in our readings. I, I guess I can't tell you what the timeline is in the book of Acts, I guess. But uh, here we are a couple weeks later seeing, we see, see actually what the answer to that statement was. This is of God. I mean, it continues on. Uh, like I said, last week, uh, 3,000 were added. And, uh, and so here we, we actually have, you know, at the end, the Lord added to their number day by day as, to those who are being saved. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, so now kind of thinking of verse 42 here, the breaking of the bread, uh, you know, it's right away, what comes to mind is the Lord's Supper. We think of the Lord's Supper when we hear that. Well, you're right. That is an expression we associate with the Lord's Supper. But, but if you take it very literally, well, it could have both meanings here. Am I, am I right? Yeah, it could have both meanings, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it definitely was, there was a celebratory meal we were having. Uh, you know, it's, you know, any meal began with, you know, breaking of bread. Uh, but, but no, it is, you know, there, this meal that is described definitely, you know, the actions are definitely reminiscent of the Lord's Supper, but I guess we don't know whether or not this was like the Lord's Supper itself that they were doing. It's, it's hinted at. It's hinted at. C certainly. Yeah. But, but that expression breaking bread is just something that's used in a very, a very, a generic way that yeah. you know, we well we you know we broke bread together and had it had had a wonderful visit you know? yeah you know, think of a Sunday uh, Sunday evening uh, dinner at uh, someone's house I mean you, you break bread together and have dinner together uh, <clears throat> but I mean uh, and it's not wrong to you know being it def definitely does point to you know, that that remin being is reminiscent of the Lord's Supper uh, but. Uh, you know, our confessions even talk about this in the you know, the apology to the Augsburg Confession, uh, in Article, I believe that'll be twenty-seven. Uh, it says that the you know, although we do not object to some interpret these passages as referring to the script sacrament, 
it does not make sense that only one part of the sacrament was given. It does only just mention the bread. But it does say, according to ordinary uses, usage of language, naming one part also means the other. So, I mean, yeah, this could, uh, there's some amb ambiguity here, I guess. And, well, and it makes, yeah. you, it makes you ponder exactly when did, when did these things become um, codified, you know, that they, okay, when we gather, we're going to recall Christ's words from, you know, from the Last Supper and right. actually make this formalize what, what we know as the sacrament. Um, yep. do, do we know when that, that started to be formalized or become very regular? I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. I'd have to look into that. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, we, yeah, like you said, though, exactly when did that you know, take place? We, we don't, I guess I, I, I don't have that answer right now. But, um, but you know, it, there is, this does kind of, kind of bring back uh, a little bit to, you know, Jesus in Matthew 24, you know, that, you know, when he broke bread, you know, uh, with them. Uh, the, actually, uh, when I looked in the study Bible, it actually referred back to uh, Math, uh, Luke chapter 24. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say the verse. I can't remember the verse number off the top of my head. But it was uh, chapter 24, and, uh, and, and it was uh, talking the same thing, that the, that moment in, in the gospel there maybe might not have been actually the Lord's Supper yet. It wasn't the, the Last Supper yet uh, in that point so we would have our, our similar doubts about what was being referred to there as as this note from the uh right. from the Augsburg confession right yeah yeah but it's not i mean if uh someone interprets it as that it's, it's not wrong it's just uh i think the more important thing here kind of going ahead is to think of we'll be talking a little bit about fellowship here uh the community of believers you know as christ's flock even back in the good shepherd christ's flock is we we share in this community of faith and fellowship and uh, holding all things in common, which I think that's kind of more kind of what we want to keep in mind here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, first, just before we go on to that, uh, uh, verse 42 also mentions prayers. Uh, these would have been liturgical prayers that they had memorized and that they recited. And much like we do now, we have these uh, our prayers that we recite, you know, in the service. And, and some of those prayers might have they might have had a formula to to them like our, our prayers do now. If, right. if you notice in the in the collects and, mm -hmm. and things that are used on a weekly basis, it always ends with that same formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, there's the the, the address, mm -hmm. you know, gracious God, you know, heavenly Father, and then there's the uh, normally then a, a statement is what what He has done. You you are the you know the giver of life, and so forth, and then uh, petition, and then the conclusion. Right, yeah. right, right. In, in whose name we're praying is yeah. always the conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you're saying Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Right, yeah. right. Or a similar formula. It's just similar formulas, yeah. And same with our the prayer of the church that we have uh, right after the gathering of the offering. You know, we have, they all follow this uh, a certain uh, pattern and formula, so to speak. And then uh, yeah, verse 43, just to quickly mention, it mentions that they were in awe at, you know, all the, wonders and signs or signs and wonders that uh, the apostles have been doing. You know, there's, it's uh, important to note here, there's still a lot of miracles that were taking place here, you know, um, through happening through the 
apostles. Right, but it's not it's not very specific about <laughs> exactly what what were these things. No, it's not very specific. Uh, no, uh, there was uh, quite a few to list. So Matthew or uh, Luke, rather, writing this couldn't <laughs> list all of them. It probably would have exhausted himself. Uh, so he was just trying. To, he was just trying to be a little bit more succinct here. It isn't a matter that. I mean, why did he just lump it all into wonders and signs? Right, yeah, yeah, I'm just saving room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, he's, he's named them elsewhere. Yeah, okay. yeah. But then, then we get to kind of more, I think, if you think of just kind of the overall kind of tone of this, in verse 44, you know, it says that, you know, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Uh, so holding all things in common, uh, I'm going to pull in a little bit of uh, Greek into this. There, there's one of my favorite words in Greek is, is a word called uh, you pronounce it koinonia, it means fellowship or mm -hmm. communion. Uh, but the word for common is uh, koinos, which I think is, uh, from what I understand, very closely related to you know, koinonia. Mm -hmm. But you know, koinos to, to have be in common, have things in common. And in the early church, certainly, you know, this, they had a lot of common at that time. Uh, later on in, in the in book of Acts, in chapter 4, we hear of uh, you know, people selling land and giving the proceeds then to the apostles, you know, uh, laying the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And even here, we have you know, people you know, selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds. Uh, you know, so the church, definitely the early church, had a common treasury that they held, uh, held together. You know, uh, you know, like we do now, they had expenses, they had meat, they had, you know, I don't know if they knew how to budget yet at that point, but uh, they had budgets and meats. So. This, this, when you think about it, it's, it's actually a, that's a, that's a considerable leap forward in how you looked at, at, at offerings and giving mm -hmm. offerings because before it would have been you just brought your own offerings for maybe you or your own family to the temple mm -hmm. but this is shared shared in a very horizontal way with your community of of believers right that's, that that's a huge leap forward yeah, in, huge leap yeah. forward yeah and in stewardship yeah, yeah stewardship at its finest there uh you know so yeah they definitely had had you know these uh you know, these resources now with this common treasury in common. But in thinking of, you know, this phrase, all things in common, I think more what I think of and kind of where I wanted to really stress here is think of us now when we go up to the communion rail. You know, we, we all kneel together at the rail. and Well, and there's a symbolism to that. There's a symbolism in, 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 to that. In a way, for, for those who... I mean, even if you're doing communion as procession, you're still, you're moving as one in that. Right. But yeah, I think that all kneeling together at the rail yeah. has that that symbolism of we're together. We're, yeah, we're together. We're, we're, uh, there's a unity there. Um, and and two, and I actually found it in our, uh, actually in our communion policy, if I can actually find where I had uh, written it here. <clears throat> That we understand that our communion together, you know, is a public profession of unity and doctrine, and, and that's part of our com uh, communion policy. As well, and, and by by our, you mean the 
the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Yeah, LCMS. Not, yeah, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. not just how we look at things here at Faith. This right, is, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, we should subscribe to that, obviously, as yeah. because we're a member of that larger church body. Right, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, being up at the rail, receiving the Lord's Supper, His Christ's body and blood, you know, we are professing that, you know, that common confession of faith. And, uh, you know, and this is, I think, more important of what the early church held. They had this common profession of faith as the, you know, as the, the apostles were continuing the work of Christ you know, now in the New Testament church. And, um, and like we said, much against often the, the wishes of the uh, political authorities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's a, that's a very important point because um, we, we emphasize that and, and for those who wonder why we don't commune everybody, mm -hmm. um, it's for the, it's for this reason is, yeah. is that we we hold that to be very important that that yeah. unity and doctrine is is an important feature of our community. Right. Yeah. And like if for example, if you're going to another congregation, receiving the Lord's Supper there for some reason, in a sense, then you're professing that you are you know have a common confession of faith that they do. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, we have it, you know, definitely for the, you know, helping, you know, people whether spiritually, but then it's also this, this public profession of faith and confession of faith. Uh, but in, in like now we have, we hold this in common. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, again, so in, in that word in Greek, koinos, means in common, to be in common. And especially this this common confession of faith. But, you know, really in this text that we're going through, you know, really what we have here too is just a description of church. Mm -hmm. You know, what mm -hmm. happens in the church service? Uh, like I said, I mean, we kind of have uh, this uh, imagery here of what is the Lord's Supper uh, with this breaking of the bread. But like we said, we, it's me not specifically talking about the Lord's Supper here, but we are definitely uh, being pointed to that. Well, and it also, having gone through this, this traumatic experience of the pandemic recently, it reminds you of why we gather at all. Because some people would, would argue, oh, well, I can, I can go to church virtually. Well, it's, it's not the same thing. You, you are not really gathering. Right. And so you're missing those blessings of gathering together. Right, yeah. So, I mean, in context of Good Shepherd Sunday, you know, we'll hear from the gospel reading of, you know, the shepherd calling in his sheep into the sheepfold. Well, the church is that sheepfold. And, and yeah, we have learned these last few years this importance of being gathered together as God's people, as his sheep. And, you know, and often if we separate ourselves from that, it's easy to, you know, be deceived and to be stole, uh, kind of pulled away from that sheepfold and away from that true doctrine confession of faith there's so many there's so many reasons that we need to gather together yeah Rein, yeah as you said reinforce one another's faith and yeah. build each other up right yeah and you know i guess you know that kind of gets into you know you know we are a community we're a community mm -hmm. of believers uh, you know and we fellowship together and uh, you know this isn't just something that takes place here at church you know where you know we leave the church doors and then you know, we ignore each other the rest of the week but yeah, we reinforce each other in our daily lives, our own community, and you know, we. And again, this is where my, where my favorite uh, Greek word comes in: koinonia, fellowship, uh, communion together. Uh, you, you know, this isn't just something where we 
have this fellowship just in the walls of the church, but out in the community too. We uh, live with each other and um, encourage one another. You know, to, we as I think it says in Scripture, we, we love the brethren first, for the, our fellow believers first. Then we carry this you know, love and this fellowship out into the community. And, and, and that's something, too, that we have actually has uh, on our uh, website. Kind of the goal of the congregation is to, uh, we love each other and take care of each other, but then we bring this out into the surrounding community as we bring God's word and his grace into our community and hope to reflect the love he has, he has for us to those we meet. And that's, uh, look, if you look it up on our website, we have it there. Um, yeah, yeah, the mission statement, um, so to speak. And that was, um, that was part of the Synod's larger uh, logo not too long ago, wasn't it? Uh, okay. Koinonia was one of the, there, was, there, were, there were three emphasis that they had uh, uh, and it made a, a nice, convenient trinity in the logo. Do you, do you know oh, really? that, I'm, that I'm kind of picturing? And okay. I, some churches still use it. But anyway, one of those those three legs of it was koinonia, was, oh, really? was, okay. was the fellowship. Yeah. Okay, I'll take a look at that. I, I, I don't think I've seen that before. But, so yeah, we. Uh, I think the big thing of this is just seeing this, being a community of believers and having all things in common, our confession of faith and uh, this fellowship we have with one another, both here at church and out in the community in our daily lives. And like you said, we've we've learned this importance to be together the last few years. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we often you know, maybe uh, did a misservice to each other by being separated. Well, and it, it really brought it to the fore. What is what is the value of yeah. gathering together? Yeah. And um, I think it it I, in the end, I think it, it it actually made people a lot more appreciative of what it means to gather. Yeah, yeah, it kind of strengthened that and solidified the reason that we do get together. Yeah, and um, the fact that that church attendance, at least at least for us, has bounced back as well as it did yeah. as quickly as it did. I think attest to that, that, yep. that people realized how important it is and how much they, they really value it and missed it. Yep, for sure. So, you know, in talking about, you know, you know fellowship together, having all things in common, uh, you know, and again, in our context of now Good Shepherd Sunday, you know, we, we do, we gather together as, as God's flock, as Christ's flock, and you know, we, we listen to the voice of our shepherd, and uh, namely in in the divine service, we hear uh, God's word, and uh, we, you know, we have our fellowship then together. When we uh, are up at the communion rail, we, we have our common confession of faith that we're professing by by that. Um, but you know, in thinking about the Good Shepherd Sunday, uh, there are, I'm sure, a, a lot of good hymns that we could use. But what do you have for us this week that we could? Um, well, let, let's start with that observation right there, because um, when I was doing some research on this, um, someone, someone suggested that there's probably no other passage in Scripture that so many hymns have been written on as Psalm 23. And I think that would be a, a fair statement, that there's been a lot of uh, paraphrases. In other words, they've taken, taken Psalm 23 and, and put it into the structure of a hymn. And we have multiples to choose from in our hymnal. 
But the one that's designated as the hymn of the day for the fourth Sunday of Easter is uh, in the Lutheran service book, number 709, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. On the facing page, you have The Lord's My Shepherd I'll Not Want. I don't know if either one of those is more near and dear to you, uh, uh, of those two hymns. Well, the one I know is, I think, is definitely 709. Okay, yeah. And what's interesting about this, and I, and I did a, I did a, a Bible study on this a, a couple of years ago, just comparing some different versions, mm. different paraphrases of Psalm 23 that have been turned into hymns. And just to look at, at which ones were very strictly based on the Psalm. In other words, nothing, no imagery was introduced into it that was outside of the Psalm itself. And then those that just played a little bit more loose with it. Now, the King of Love My Shepherd is, does introduce some images and phrases that are not part of Psalm 23. But it does so in a very beautiful way it, to make it uh, very poetically beautiful in, in English. The, um, the, uh, some of the other settings, like the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, stays very true to Psalm 23. And that was the, that was the standard that a lot of um, uh, uh, reformed psalmody used when they were turning psalms into hymns for use in the church. They had a very... Uh, strict standard that it should only come right out of scripture. And so those are the only things that they sang out of that Calvinist tradition. Um, when we go back to you know the Reformation era, um, Luther thought that hymns could be used for, for teaching. And so that was the direction he went. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the Reformed churches decided, well, if we're going to sing, if we're going to have any kind of musical elaboration of the word of God, we only want the word of God. We don't want anybody free texting or, or, or making up their own poetry. We, we just want the word of God. Mm -hmm. So it was very limiting in that way. So you'll find some paraphrases of Psalm 23 that mm -hmm. are strictly Psalm 23. But I think the beauty of the King of Love My Shepherd is, is that it calls forth some imagery that, that maybe, maybe passes through your mind as you're reading Psalm 23, yeah. but it's not necessarily in the psalm. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, uh, stanza three, um, stanza three, perverse and foolish oft I've strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid and home rejoicing brought me. None of that is in Psalm 23. No. If you read Psalm 23, it doesn't, um, doesn't talk about that. And the image of the sheep on the shoulder, which we've probably you've probably seen that oh, yeah. uh, that picture that mm -hmm. adorns many homes where yeah. Jesus is carrying the shepherd or the sheep, and there's a I think there's a flock, isn't there? Yeah, a flock around his feet, yeah. Around his feet. Yeah. yeah. We all have that in our minds. And he probably maybe had that in his mind when he was writing this. And it's near and dear to us as another uh, image of the good mm -hmm. shepherd. It's not in the psalm. But he introduced it. He pulled yeah. it in there as well. But we don't find it alien to the the hymn at all we, we right. it belongs there mm -hmm. because we look at jesus as the good shepherd and likewise there's some references to uh communion in here maybe again not overt but they're but they're there for example in stanza five um thou spreadst the table in my sight thine unction grace bestoweth um 
He doesn't say we gather around for the Lord's Supper, but there's that there's that suggestion of it there. Yeah. Yeah. That that well, true. In in um, Psalm 23, it says, um, 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 "You spread a table before me." Is that very just you know, a literal sense of you, you feed me? Well, yes, but there's also a, a kind of a Christological su suggestion there, and that's one thing that um, the author Henry Baker did here is he brought more of a Christological element into the Psalms because that's um, that's often hidden in the Psalms. It's there. There's that suggestion of of Christ, even though he's not named directly. Right. Yeah. So who is this king? Who is the shepherd? It's, it's Jesus, mm -hmm. even though when we read Psalm 23, it doesn't mention Jesus by name. Yeah, I mean, when uh, when David uh, wrote the Psalms, uh, he would have been uh, referred to the, the pre-incarnate Son of God. Right, yeah. right. And that's something we we don't hear uh, sometimes very often enough, but there's there's suggestions of it all over the Old Testament, oh, yeah. the, yeah. the pre-incarnate Son of God. Mm -hmm. So when he, when he crafted this hymn, he was going for the beauty of the poetry. And it's certainly, certainly all there, um, even if he introduces some images that aren't necessarily in the psalm itself. Also, um, it's worth noting that um, Psalm, uh, that verse three of this, the, the one that I had just read, perverse and foolish oft I've strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me, were actually the last words uttered by the author of it, of Henry Baker, yeah. uh, on his deathbed. Oh, really? So you couldn't think of a more fitting, more fitting thing to be your last words, um, his own poetry that reflects the Psalm 23. And for that reason, too, I think that might have uh, added to the reason that this is such a popular psalm for funerals. Mm -hmm. Because in the, in the original, the early funeral rites, Psalm 23 was not a required feature of, of funerals. Mm -hmm. But it seems from about the 19th century on, when he wrote this, he wrote this about the middle of the 19th century, it's gladly, uh, gradually worked its way into our conscience that, well, you have to have Psalm 23 at a funeral. Yeah. And, and if you watch TV, if there's ever a funeral, uh, no matter what flavor it is, on uh, on television, they're always reading Psalm 23. Yep. You know, I, I, I heard, I think it was uh, Sean DeEnzer again, that uh, Reverend Sean DeEnzer that again mentioned that the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing with this psalm. <laughs> In that you know, it has gotten to be almost everybody's favorite psalm. Mm -hmm. uh, the um, the text, uh, as I mentioned, was written by Henry Baker, and his mm -hmm. claim to fame is he spent uh, uh, over 20 years as the editor of the, the hymnals, the English hymnals that came to standardize English hymnody in the middle of the, the 19th century, hymns ancient and modern. There were multiple editions, uh, a, a real labor of love, because when he had looked out on the landscape, and, and we had the same situation happen here in our country uh, about a century ago that everybody was using different hymnals. So you had no consistency between congregations about versions of the hymns or, or melodies that were paired with them and it was just kind of a kind of a mess. And so he standardized English hymnody in the 19th century in England 
And we went through that same process with our own hymnals uh, about a century ago mm -hmm. um, here. So um, we have him to thank for that. And, and he is the author of this text. And he uh, had uh, requested a tune be written for it um, from, um, from John Dykes. And John Dykes is the, he's the composer who also wrote Holy, Holy, Holy. Okay. He's known, for, known particularly known for that tune. And so he wrote a melody, melody to go along with the King of Love, My Shepherd is, um, but nobody uses it. it. It wasn't very well loved. And so over the course of time, different, different uh, uh, hymnal committees uh, tried different melodies, paired different melodies with it. In the TLH, the old Lutheran hymnals from 1941 that, that we used for many years in our church, it was paired with a, with a tune by Pretorius. And I had free, even forgotten it was in that hymnal because nobody sang it. It was just not, not a hymn, hymn tune that anybody loved. Over time, other Christian traditions began to pair with this Irish folk song known as St. Columba, and that's the one we know it to now. And it's a very good fit and a very appropriate fit because it's from the same part of the world. And it has uh, an 8787 meter that, that fits this folk song very well. And so St. Columba was, was an Irish monk from the sixth century. So that, that also is kind of a fitting name for this, this folk song um, that, was, that was very well known. And um, I have found that just, just because of the melody itself, this has really endeared people to this hymn. But it's also just very fine poetry. And, um, and there was no doubt that this one would be, would be included in the hymnal even though we have uh, several other choices of paraphrases of Psalm 23. So for today, um, uh, why don't we sing um, stanza one, which is the, the introductory one, and stanza three, which again is that one that introduces this imagery that's not in Psalm 23, but were the, the last words of the, of the author Henry Baker on his deathbed. The King of love, my Shepherd, is whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am His, and He is mine forever. Perverse and foolish oft I stray, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Now this Sunday at the, at the early service, the choir will be singing a setting of this and the congregation will get to sing, um, join in on four of the six stanzas. But the, the middle two in there, three and four, the choir are singing a stanza, uh, 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 those two stanzas. And you'll hear how the composer changes the color of the music to match what's going on there mm. about, about straying 
and the music strays away from the melody and and um, the, the what what he wrote there the choir portrays that very well and also in Death's Dark Veil it changes key into the minor key and and, and reflects that um, also and then we when we return to the the familiar melody again for five and six. So if you're at the early service, you can look forward to that. Yeah, look forward to hearing that. So we continue with the litany. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please join us for worship this weekend. Our worship opportunities are at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and on Mondays at 6.30 p.m.